Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Treknobabble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And uh, tonight we are wrapping up season five of Voyager uh, with the first with their season five cliffhanger, uh, Equinox. Yeah, um, I have relatively fond memories of this one. Uh, I recall it being exciting. Um, it certainly is interesting in that it introduces a lot of new characters. Um, you know, we can get into how plausible or well done things are, but uh, overall, you know, that I have pretty fond memories of this. Um, it's written by well, the teleplays by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. Um, I guess Berman also had a story credit in there. Uh, you know, it. Those are all three guys who I would watch Star Trek from now, <laughs> right? Uh, and Joe Minoski is kind of hit and miss sometimes, as is Brandon Braga. Uh, but when they hit, they hit really well. Well, I mean, I always like any uh, good ethics story, and Star, you know, Starfleet captains going off the deep end has been a plot device since the original series. So uh, I remember thinking at the time, uh, I kind of wish this were more of what Voyager was, because th- this episode directly engages much more what it would be like to be on your own without support, that lack of support starting to be fatal, and the kinds of compromises you might make. Um, what, like, I think, a, uh, I think a valid criticism of Voyager uh, is that they really quickly got away from the idea that Voyager was really adrift at sea, because Voyager seemed to be reasonably well supplied, except for the random episode in which they needed Particle X to do Thing Y, and that was pretty much the MacGuffin of the episode. But you never got, like, like Battlestar Galactica, you never got that enduring sense that they are really running on fumes for extended periods. And, they, you know, they dabbled with it in Year of Hell, things like that. So, like, I enjoy any time they really engage the sense of, because I, I think this gets to the core of what, like, you know, Star Trek was, especially in the era of Next Generation, is this question, uh, are humans better because they're better, or are they better because their technology so comforts them that they have no motivation to be terrible. And I think episodes like this really dig into that idea. So so it's a fun concept from the get-go. Yeah, I agree. Um, in some ways, you could probably view this episode as uh, being a response to that criticism. Um, it, in a lot of ways, it kind of hangs a lampshade on it because they, they basically explicitly point out that Voyagers had it really easy. <laughs> You know, and the equinox has not, right? So the contrast is telling. Um, I don't know. That's uh, it will be interesting to think about. So why don't we get our videos ready to go? All right, I'm ready. I am ready as well, so everybody get ready to press play on your optical or internet media, and we will press play together in three, two, one, press play. All right, so already we've got a different ship. I think it's pretty cool looking. Yeah, no, it's a, of, of a piece. Um, 
I wonder if that design had made it into any of like the, you know, first contact battle scenes or, you know, some, you know, background Deep Space Nine shot or if this was made new for for the show. Um, this definitely... It's kind of an amalgam between the, the Akira class and the Voyager, yeah. you know, the, the Intrepid class. And uh, speaking of that, I think this bridge is pretty clearly... I mean, is, I, okay, well, no, is that... It's Vo- the Prometheus, actually. Is Okay. They, they redressed the Prometheus uh, bridge and uh, corridor sets, I believe. Hmm. Which may well have been a redress of some other bridge. Uh, you know, it's not the battle bridge because it's too big, but it de- that, uh, or maybe it was like the Enterprise A set that they used for the, uh, you know, Stargazer back in the day. They did a really good job uh, decking it out with Okudograms. Um, you know, they've got the correct ship schematic. I, I uh, appreciate that. Little little stuff like that always makes me happy when it's like you really dig in and do the fine grain work to to flesh it out because like like it already feels more like a real ship when they have the appropriate systems diagram right there so like little stuff like that that's how that's how you get me yeah and uh i mean in a lot of ways uh the equinox feels i mean obviously it's only been two minutes but it feels like a real place in the star trek universe like it feels like a place where people actually work right um and there have been bridges in the past that have been kind of lackluster. You know, right? I, was, I was just rewatching uh, Face of the Enemy because I needed something to watch while I did housework. And the Romulan bridge is like just like I understand the Romulans would be like utilitarian people and their bridges wouldn't be purposely majestic. But that was a real bland set. <laughs> well, or like in The Wounded or something with yeah, Ben Maxwell's yeah. ship. Uh, you know, so it's great when they can reuse existing sets, you know, and, and really deck out the ship of the week or the alien of the week or the, you know, right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause Voyager say what you want about Voyager. Uh, but I mean, it feels like a real place in the way that TNG, you know, uh, the enterprise felt like a real place. You know, you see these really deep elaborate sets and you see them over and over and over and they, they're well lit. They they seem to have a certain logical sense to them. Uh, you know, Discovery, I'm not going to spend all this time bashing Discovery, but one thing I don't like about Discovery is that none of the places feel real. Like, I don't really know any of them. TOS, for instance, um, the bridge felt very real. The quarters were obviously reused over and over. Uh, the mess hall, eh, you know engineering and eh. sick bay definitely felt like a real place you know so it, it was a little less uh i mean they had less of a budget right anyhow here we have all right i'm Captain... gonna say yeah my my one complaint right at the top of this episode <laughs> is his name is rudolph ransom rudolph ransom rudy yes. ransom it's it's <laughs> like they said give me something like lex luther but don't be so obvious and then they said how about rudy ransom like okay that's good but we'll use that as a placeholder and we'll come back to it. and then they never got back to it because they could have tattooed villain on his forehead and they could not have been more obvious like like serious ransom his name is Ran- his name <laughs> is a felony yeah like it's just come on apparently he made first contact with the uridians uh 
Now, weren't the Iridians like those information dealers yeah, who sold? Uh, yeah, that was one of those like, guys, you get a bigger thesaurus or ask one of us because we can give you an alien you haven't heard of yet, and it won't be a phonetic variation on Torellian. Um, yeah. Anyhow, I agree on the name. Yeah, it's the, not my favorite name. I'm, but look, some people have names like that, right? <laughs> some people. So it, yes, Lex Luthor. <laughs> well, or you know, like Max Power or something, right? You know. Um, I there's the say, right way, the wrong way, and the Max Power yeah. way. Uh, my other problem with this episode is this is let's see between the Dreadnought, the Cardassian ship referenced in the Seven Conspiracy episode. Um, the people, the guy who built the catapult that they used that one time and now ransom, like the caretaker has taken a lot of ships from the alpha quadrant that, and to the point that I'm, every time it happens, it makes me more annoyed that no one clocked this on the alpha quadrant side. Like we've had a curious amount of ships go missing from the alpha quadrant. It's, it's a, well, they go back to a few too many times for my liking. The only way I would have liked it is if they had actually found uh, Jordy LaForge's mom's ship. That would I would have accepted that as an explanation. <laughs> um, but just, it's like, if nothing else, this is also one of those times that just strains credulity because how is it, even if they were traveling, even though they're traveling in the same direction, the odds of them, especially once you factor in things like, you know, Kessa's jump, the transwarp drive, the other transwarp drive, the Borg transwarp drive, like all of the random like multi-thousand light year jumps Voyager has taken, there's simply no way these ships would be near each other. And it's just one of the... It, it, I, I, I'm trying not to be that nerd, even though I am that nerd. I, I will say it, it's just one of those things that pulls me out of the story a little because it's so obviously... It, the seams of the story show in a way that I notice in the moment. No, I I think that's a fair criticism. Space is very big, you know. Uh, I, to to try to defend it, I mean, it's like they do have subspace radio, right? And they have warp drive. And so somebody can be 10, 20, 30, 40 light years away and, you know, they can somehow sense uh, them, yeah. which which strains credulity yeah. to a degree. Yeah. But I will say um, the, the makeup effects on the desiccated dude was were, were pretty good. That's some yeah. That's some A class horror work right there. The uh, the CGI on the alien creatures was pretty decent. You know, it benefits from not being very long. Yeah, the right? the, the portal is a little fuzzy, but the aliens themselves are pretty good. They did quite a bash on this engineering set, and it looks pretty decent. Yeah, no, it reminds me of a. Uh, what am I thinking? They're not of? doing the strobe thing too much, yeah. and I, I applaud that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like there, there's obviously you know these these pyrotechnics going off and stuff, but it's not to the level where it feels like you're gonna you know start frothing at the mouth or something. Um, yeah, it reminds me of the the Vigo set from uh, Hero Worship. Hmm. She's doing a really good job of appearing traumatized. Yeah, no, she 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 looks real far gone. Well, and she actually uses the term post-traumatic stress uh, later in the episode, which is a relatively early uh, dramatic mention. So the actress, uh, her name is, come on, Olivia Berkeland. What and, else was uh, she in? She she has maybe she just has one of those faces, but she looks really familiar. She does have one of those faces. Um, 
she was on All My Children. Mm. Oh, that's right. She was she was like uh, Kelly Ripa's mom, I think. Or I might be thinking of a different actress, but she looks she does remind me of her. But yeah, I could see it. Um, uh, here we have Rick Worthy as Noah Lessing. He's got. He's been on other Star Trek stuff, right? As like a Klingon of memory, sir. That name sounds really familiar. Oh my, he's been in a lot. He's he was the automated unit three nine four seven in you. prototype. That's why I know. Thank you, because I think I look, I looked this episode up too like a week ago when we, before we sat down to watch it. He um, was Cornan in or Coman Cornan in DS nine Soldiers of the Empire. Uh, he was a, a bad guy in Star Trek Insurrection. Um, and he was a recurring character in the Enterprise Zindi arc as one of the aliens, one of the arboreal aliens, I believe. I, I, I like... They did a good job of balancing not being too grisly for prime time with, con, with calmly discussing the fact that the man's legs were crushed. It was like a, I think, a fairly artful way to ramp up the, uh, the stakes. Yeah, I mean... But it's it's consistent with the universe, right? It's like, well, this really sucks, but we can fix it. And, you know, he was obviously in stress, right? He yeah. was, you know, like he wasn't happy about it. Yeah, those are very good desiccated corpses. Well done. It's the, mouth, not... the mouth pulling back over the teeth. The... Yeah, yeah. They're not lingering on them too much. You know, it's not grotesque. Um, so here is Titus Welliver, uh, one of the great names in acting, I guess. <laughs> um, he was also in Bosch, the Amazon Prime show, uh, as the main character. And he was the man in black in Lost, I guess. And here's Rudy Ransom, uh, John Savage. I, do, he was I mean, a, look, his name is John Savage. It's like they could have called him John <laughs> Savage, and it would have been basically the same as Rudy Ransom, right? Well, I know enough actual Savage people named Savage um, that it's less jarring. Ransom feels like a real stretch. I, I do also remember having a little thing for him, and it's not diminished with time. He was he was hot when he was in the movie version of Hair, and he's he's hot now. Like he's clearly a bit of an asshole, but you know he's a handsome. He, he's he's aged quite well. Like, he might have better cheekbones than Kate McGrew, and that's not something I say lightly. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, they're in a, they're in a cheekbone off. <laughs> that would actually, if I ran Starfleet, that would actually be a criteria. <laughs> like, how sharp are your cheekbones? Can they cut glass? Can they cut transparent aluminum? <laughs> this reminds me, for obvious reasons, of the Enterprise C and yesterday's Enterprise. It's that same, like, I'm not leaving my ship. Yes, you're leaving your ship. This little, like, little captain off that they do. Yeah. Uh, we've been stranded in Delta Quadrant for five years. Uh, we were pulled here against our will by an alien called the Caretaker. Yeah, so uh, we'll compare notes later on. It's interesting that she's moving him. It seems like that would be something for trained medical yeah. staff to do. Granted, they're you know a relatively threadbare crew. So the Equinox crew gets sort of four big speaking roles, which is more than the than typical. Most, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the Enterprise C only got two. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's a lot of uh, good extra work here. Yeah, and the, 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 the uh, Equinox crew is doing a good job. Like, uh, 
what's her name? Marla. Name character's name is Marla. Memory serves. Uh, it looks like she's about to panic. Like she's yeah. a, like she is imminently about to confess to something. <laughs> yeah. Well, that so, you know, we've seen it and we know that they've got a dark secret, right? Yeah. Uh, but they're definitely acting it. You know, yeah. the, and, the characters and know. Max looks like a jerk. Like, <laughs> like he looks like a that guy. <laughs> Well, which makes it, of course, very interesting what they do with it, right? He, the actor, uh, he says he intentionally tried to play the character very still and centered to make him seem more powerful and military. Mm. Um, and I can see that. And the voice, like his, like really sotto voice, is uh, very. He's like, "Hello, how are you doing?" BLT. I, yeah, I like this dynamic. I like busting Tom Paris's balls a little bit, you know. And and she clearly has a type, like <laughs> <laughs> high foreheaded, uh, slightly you know. smarmy guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like this hair on her. I think it's my favorite wig. It's not as crimped as like the season four pregnant hiding pregnancy crimped wig, but I like it. It's got a little, it's got a little movement. When did they do the? The braid was that after this or before this? I think this? so. I don't mind the braid either. I I, I like visual interest. In I mind. don't hate it, but I I think you're right. This is a very flattering uh, coiffure for her. Like he's just straight up macking on her. Oh yeah, it's not even subtle. I I I, I mean, and Robert Duncan McNeil's doing a good job acting like. He knows he's not supposed to be, a, and he's not being a jerk, jerk. But he, he, he knows he's supposed to tamp down on this reaction, and he can't entirely get away with it. So, <laughs> yeah, he said, "Yellow alert." Who's jealous? I, I like I, the way I, I like the way that uh, Roxanne Dawson is reading the lines because that entire scene says to me, "Our relationship was terrible, but the sex was amazing, and that's why it lasted as long as it did." <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like he's a jerk, but just a little post-traumatic stress syndrome. Now, of course, what he should say is, "Go see the doctor." You know, like you need counseling. Um, so Star Trek has played a little bit fast and loose with PTSD, uh, in its history, Yeah, but they're acknowledging it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those, like, I, I always wanted to see them do an episode. Like, would it be, would it be stupid if they suggested they could treat PTSD with a pill? Like they could just jigger with the memories or the chemical reactions that cause the panic attacks or it doesn't require something deep. I, I, I've always wanted to see that episode, like really engage i think that'd be a fi- be, i think done well and respectfully could be really interesting she's really she's acting the hell out of this yeah um and it really adds to the verisimilitude you know it's like she's really we always talk about guest stars inhabiting the universe yeah. right and she definitely she's there right she's present in star trek and she's talking about the turbo lift you know in a way that makes you really believe that She's had freakouts in turbo lifts, yeah. you know, and or th- been attacked in turbo. Th- lifts. There's something about the way they're styling her, and it's not that she looks like Jerry Ryan, but like the the the, the way they're pulling her hair back from her face 
remind and she has the same kind of big eyes where it's just like it, she can really act that like fear well because she really like jerry ryan she's like it's like she's physically s- shrinking in the shot mm-hmm. that was a really cool uh diagram uh sort of a 3d pan around the two ships it's it's a nice thing to give you a sense of scale outside of you know model shots or uh exterior shots yeah, the way he's crossing his arms is very douchey. I f- something I've always found interesting about Ransom, and it's it, it's something I was thinking about last time I rewatched it. I like that they found a captain who who's like as tall as Kate Mulgrew. Like somehow, it, it like I know it's stupid to like reduce phys- you know, uh, you know, in- your ability to be intimidating to height or whatever. But it's like so- somehow finding a captain that Kate Mulgrew can have eye con- like be at eye level with while standing really ramped up the tension for me. Like, like somehow it, like they, they both kind of have a, like, I, I wondered how intentional this was. There, there's a vibe to ransom that feels like the dark side of Kate Mulgrew's coin. Like there's like a, she, like this little tightly wound coil of competence and, you know, don't fuck with me that Kate Mulgrew plays to, you know, very positive effect that it felt like they, picked a male actor to mirror that literally as physically close as possible. No, I see that. So they're getting into, uh, you know, sort of the differences in their journeys. Right. And ransom is saying that rank and protocol have fallen by the wayside a bit when they've been in the trenches together like that. And Janeway is, you know, giving this more straight laced, uh, take, the Krautonen Guard. Uh, so somehow Captain Ransom and his ship evaded the Borg, <laughs> which does raise questions. Yes, it's like it seems like the Borg territory should, should be mammoth. Yeah, I he, I almost said it begs the question just because it would annoy you. Yeah, it would. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the discussion here about where it's like below a certain number of crew, the ship is not operable. That's the, it's a, um, it's an, and again, it's an idea that I think Voyager shied away from where it was like, at some point, forget putting you in the brig because we can't keep you there. We literally can't spare the manpower. There are, you know, there are, you know, a hundred necessary jobs that have to be staffed three times a day, every day for the next 70 years. And we can't afford to lose one of them. Like it, I, I, I'm glad they're having these conversations here. But in a way, for me, they only serve to remind me that they didn't have them in season one. Yeah. The Prime Directive. How often have you broken it? Broken it? Never. I, I really. I wonder about that. Yeah, I really want to. Like, it's like when Picard, like at least Picard, copped to violating the Prime Directive, and then added the corollary. I fully explained my reasons in my reports, but I yeah. really want to be like, I'm going to go back through, if nothing else, our reviews to be like, I'm pretty sure you've broken it. <laughs> well, she strained it several times. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd be interested to read the the, the fine print. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what the quote is. Well, let's see. 
and again, good detail work. Like, it, it would be really easy to skip a detail like that, even using Voyager's plaque and knowing it won't resolve in the depth of field of standard definition. But again, little stuff like that does make me very happy. Uh, I, I do enjoy watching these two men have a subtle whisper off in, like, the most crowded room of the ship. <laughs> yeah. It, the, the way they're playing it, you know, it's like Ransom knows all about who he is, right? Yeah. And his proclivities with women and, uh, you know, his personality. He plays a really good douchebag. Mm. Uh, so the USS Equinox is a Nova-class ship from the Utopia Planitia shipyard. Uh, and the quote on the plaque is from Sir Thomas Brown, the night of time far surpasseth, surpasseth the day. Hmm. Okay. So it's like a dark quote. Uh, it's a line from his 1658 work, Hydrio Tafia um burial. A deep cut. <laughs> so Tuvok and Chakotay don't get too much to do here. Yeah, I don't think. I think this is the most lines Chakotay gets until uh, this, you know, next episode when they has a big throwdown with Janeway. Yeah, really nice diagrams showing how the Equinox doesn't have that many decks. See, now, it's like, is it Marla? She's sort of getting her footing again. Yeah. And she doesn't want to be found out, you know, so she, the, the, the tension has abated a bit for her, and now she's... One of our ships is vulnerable. We should make our stand on Voyager. Yeah, there is a bit of a yesterday's Enterprise feel. Yeah, it's obviously not quite to that degree. Um, I wonder if there was any conversation about uh, casting ransom with a woman. Uh, like, would that have been too on the nose for like Janeway faces? You know evil Janeway like I, I wonder if that would have colored uh, the interactions at least for the viewers if not the, the characters who presumably have you know moved past those kinds of issues but um... they should have gotten Genevieve Bouillard right <laughs> that would have been delightful it's like I hate being in the Delta Quadrant <laughs> oh they could have gotten Susan Gibney she's done a she almost got to be Janeway <laughs> that would have been incredible she, I mean, like, I'm not taking anything away from John Savage here. I think he's done, doing a fine job. Yeah. He, he's got the feel, you know, like someone who's balancing lots of different things in his mind, right? Uh, but Susan Gibney, you know, I'll watch her in anything. She's great. And she was terrific as a darker Starfleet officer in uh, Homefront Paradise Lost, right? Yeah. Oh, no, wait. That's, 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 the, that's the other tall woman. No, that is Susan, yeah, Susan Gibney. Gibney. 
I was thinking of uh, God. What's her name? It's like Marta Powers or something. Brenda Brenda Powers. Brenda Strong. Brenda Strong, not Powers. Yeah, Brenda Strong. <laughs> Speaking of names that are also adjectives. <laughs> yeah. I think Brenda Strong could have done a yeah. heck of a job. Now she would have been far taller yeah. than Kate. Well, I was thinking. Um, was uh, what's her name? Uh, Rachel Garrett. Uh, Trisha O'Neill. Um, mm. They they could have had like a bob off, you know, like like <laughs> who who had the most neatly quaffed bob. I think that also would have would have worked. It would have been a tough sell to get Rachel Garrett in the Delta Quadrant, but hey. <laughs> well, I mean, she's dead, but uh, I think it would have been a little too. It, it would have because been... because that's such a classic episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, what's I'm she not, doing? Here? I'm not seriously suggesting it, but it would have been fun. They did have the you know yeah dueling bobs would be. It, you know, she's kind of letting herself get played, right? She's, you know, he's not making it that, he's pressing buttons and, like, using tricorders and stuff. So. Yeah, also, is the is your password password? Like. <laughs> well, maybe it's one of those things where each ship has the, you know, code of every other ship or something. So she mentions uh, chemocyte, which has been mentioned before. Uh, don't know what mercurium is. But then I, she I mentions the, a very moody element. Yeah. <laughs> the synaptic stimulator, a neural interface you wear behind your ear. You know, I've been seriously contemplating purchasing an Oculus Rift, and uh, every time I think about it, I think about this. The, uh, the, uh, ra rather than try to fool my optic nerves with something visual, you just stimulate them directly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in theory, it should bypass any questions of, uh, you know, pixel density and refresh rate and the things that can, you know, make VR. Yeah, I mean, of, not of, of course, then there's the never-ending existential crisis. Did I really turn it off, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's an episode in that, Kevin. <laughs> I mean, there, it's already been done, yeah. right? <laughs> With uh, Mori Moriarty. Moriarty. Ship in a bottle. That's the one. And kind of frame of mind, not in a technological sense, but like, you know, the, the you know questioning if the whole world is really an illusion. A little Scarlet Palmer's action. Uh, quite good as usual. Um, and it it's interesting to... It does a good thing for the the character here because she, you know, it's like she's being reminded of humanity when she I talks mean, about it, it, it. She mentions having like a niece or something that age, and it helps that both actresses look like they look like they could actually be related. Yeah. Like that, that like it all underscores uh, nicely. Well, it, it, it really, yeah, that look on her face right there underscores how much she's been wounded and changed uh by her experience yeah you know what she's lost right and so that it helps these four characters we're being introduced to feel more human and it makes the ransom character less of a jerk off you know 
It's like they're in a tough situation. They had a bad time. You know, they made choices that the Voyager crew never had to make. Right. Yeah. And they should have made different choices, but it's more interesting if they're not just bad. Yeah. No. Yeah. They're not not bad. They're Starfleet officers. You know, they made it through the Academy and somehow didn't trip off, you know, the (laughs) psychotectic, you know, no, that's, that's the other episode. Uh, that, what was the name of that test? Oh, the one with their deepest psychotronic. Yeah. Well, but there, there's also some machine that, uh, I think it was in uh Oh Schizoid Man Schizoid where, Man. Yeah, where they show you clips of Star Trek two and they use it to gauge <laughs> if you're evil. Which yeah. is actually not a bad test. Like like if I show someone Star Trek four and they don't at least chuckle, I'm like, Well, you're clearly you know, a, a replicant. Like <laughs> Or they could show you Star Trek two and then Star Trek into darkness and gauge your response to each. <laughs> you're like, Nope, you are not qualified. Make the most of it. What does that mean? Anyway. Well, and I, I, my only concern with this scene is it does tip Captain Ransom a little or like you can't argue like you could make the argument that they needed to find the faster way home because they literally could not have survived longer without the faster way home. Now they're on a ship that could sustain them for the journey. So essentially he is now faced with the choice Janeway was faced with back in Caretaker of do I violate my ethics to get home safer, even though I could reasonably expect eventually getting home with the ship at my disposal. So I, I, I don't know. And I'm, I, I'm not quite sure how they would have threaded that needle, but Ransom doesn't entertain for a second just living out there the next 20 years on a trip home safely on Voyager and I would maybe Marla could have pressed for that a little harder where it's like the 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 survival at all costs imperative and whatever moral flexibility it allows is obviated by Voyager's presence because even if it will take them a while to get home I think even even after uh timeless Janeway's log is pretty much like based on how close we are the question is not if we'll get home but when um no they they say in this episode that they're 35,000 light years away now. Yeah. So we, they're, they're more than halfway home. Right. So like Janeway would be an old, like even assuming the long way around, Janeway would be an old woman, but still have decades of life at her disposal back in the Alpha Quadrant um, when they get home. Uh, so I would have liked a little more digging into it's, it's not just survival. It is getting home at a usable time scale. I think that would have been... A, a, well... I, you know, I agree that there should have been a scene where they debated it because I think that could put a finer point on the question. And I mean, the, the way I interpret it is that um, they've been changed by the things they've had to do. You and, know? and that's fine. I, I would have liked that drawn in the episode. Yeah, so that that should be you know made more explicit. You know, they could just sweep it all under the rug. They might get discovered. You know. And so then they would have to live with uh, the negative consequences right. of that. But, but Janeway's even kind of accidentally given them an out. She's literally suggesting abandoning the Equinox. She's yeah. let's yeah. blow up the scene of all your crimes, all the crimes, all the crimes blown up. Like she's giving them an out. Maybe that's the hook where it's like we could literally get away with this um, if we leave the Equinox behind. I think there's a question of whether these aliens would keep attacking them when they were yeah. on Voyager. Yeah. Um, 
So there's that. So this may be my least favorite aspect of the episode, uh, which is the Doctor Switch. Yeah. Yeah. One more time for the cheap seats and back. The ethics program is not what stops you from being violent per se. It's not like without <laughs> ethics, I instantly become violent. It, it, the doctor is not the purge. You know, it's not like he wants to do violent. Like here, here's the thing. Much like when they turned off Data's ethical subroutines in Descent, if you threaten Seven of Nine's life and then turned off the doctor's ethical subroutines, the doctor would kill Ransom by like snapping his neck to save Seven because the personality of the doctor wants to save Seven. Turning off his ethical program would simply make him not be bothered by murdering Ransom real hard. So yeah. like that, that, it's just like, do you not know what ethics means? You're Star Trek. I trust you to know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I take it to mean that when you turn off this thing, you can give him orders that he otherwise would have refused. Well, you know, it's, have it's not it, like the doctor is a serial killer. Right. They should have said they disabled his, like they disabled the subroutines that give him free will or, you know, independent thought or whatever. They shouldn't have said ethics. It was lazy. <laughs> okay. Um, no, what I was referring to, we haven't gotten to it no. yet. The thing that is just kind of, eh, is the, the doctor switcheroo angle. You know, it's like, Sooner or later, your mobile emitter is going to be stolen enough that you'll be like, maybe we should just post a fucking security guard on you. And again, you know, make your password something other than password. And don't try to make the O a zero or the A a four because they're onto that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is a good scene. Like, this is this is like top. No this is much like Picard dressing down Maxwell in the ready room and um, uh, uh, what was it for Cisco? Um, what's his name? Or like with Layton or, you know, like it, this is a good scene. Yeah. I like how he's offering justifications and she's not buying it. Yeah. You know, it, it's a well-written scene um, because, you know, it's like he's trying to make his argument and he's, it's like by saying a part of me dies, you know, it's a pretty cheap thing to say. Yeah. You know, and she just sort of bats it away. I like this uh, sort of flashback scene. I think it helps to make their story feel real. Yeah. You know, they, they created aliens, uh, another Westmorehead, you know, uh, a doodad. Now, it's just the four main ones. They have a nice vista in the background with some clouds and stars. I mean, this is this is well done. And I, I like the animation on the alien. A nucleogenic life form. Eh, whatever. <laughs> like it doesn't really have to make a whole lot of sense. It's just, you know, a very energetic being that can be squished. And, you know, I wonder if we're supposed to take this as uh, he really tried to, to release it or not, right? He's telling the story so that the narrator could be unreliable. Yeah, I, since we're watching it happen, 
I assume, I take it as he did. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, because if nothing else, there was no reason. Like, we're, we're supposed. To, uh, the only reason this episode has narrative tension and movement is the idea that he got to where he was by increments. So he has to start somewhere. <laughs> the math there doesn't quite work out, though. Yeah. One of those creatures got them ten thousand light years. So, you know, why they would they need sixty three? Right, they should have only needed. Like, seven <laughs> not, i think they were a little further so yeah. like yeah like maybe eight or nine of them good acting by kate mulgrew naturally their mistake <laughs> No, but he definitely acted like a captain there. Yeah. And he seems um, annoyed, but also chastened somewhat, but obviously still clearly up to something, right? And Janeway is doing the Janeway thing, right? Yeah. Let's make first contact the right way. You'll be confined to quarters until we can find a way to make peace. And, you know, her... You could have stopped yourself. Why didn't you? She was just following orders. Those giant phaser rifles, I just, <laughs> after seeing the ones in first contact, it's hard to go back. I like that they, uh, she's not wearing her comm badge. Again, little detail touches, you know. Yeah, I wonder if they, like, invest a lot of importance in the comm badge like symbolic importance as opposed to it's just a communicator and we don't want to give them communication ability. Like, is it like turning in your badge? Well, well I, 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 given the number of times people have dramatically resigned yeah. from Starfleet and taken <laughs> off their comm badge, I think it's exactly like your badge. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need your communicator and your, and your phaser. You're a loose cannon. You don't follow the rules. I, oh my God. If you, next time someone wants to completely not do a standard Star Trek story in the Star Trek universe, if you just want to do like 80s buddy cop right down to like the, you know, dyspeptic, uh, chi uh, like Starfleet captain, oh, that'd be great. I would absolutely watch like, you know, like an angry Reginald Val Johnson, you know, testily demand your communicator and your phaser. That'd make me very happy. <laughs> It's like, here's this thing that would be fantastically useful for you, but please don't take it. It's like, doctor, why did you tell him? It's like, you should be more more on guard. Like, really, this is... They, they've done it in the past where he can alter his holographic matrix to disguise the emitter. Like, he can carry it inside him, which he should do. <laughs> Like, like we could even be melodramatic and he should, like, carry it where his heart would be.
I do like the way he's acting. You know, can you be more specific? It, I mean, it's the same program, right? Now it's had different experiences, uh, but in some ways, he he plays it as somewhat similar, right? And I do like very much that we haven't gotten Robert Picardo evil acting, right? With yeah. that like jutting lower uh, jaw thing that he does he st- kind of sticks his teeth out of his mouth and stuff like he he's acting more like the doctor than like the villain right yeah and that makes it better in my estimation why didn't they send more people like they've got 150 people on this show send three four This seems like a bad way of keeping everybody. I guess they don't have brig capability. So this is like a lower deck crewman quarters kind of thing. Yeah. Where they have bunks and stuff. Oh, the world's work. Starfleet security is the worst. <laughs> I've encountered better security like at a nightclub. Just... Someone reconfigured the sensors. How? They're using the big guns here. Which I kind of don't understand. Like, it, I feel like it'd be harder to aim. Yeah. He looks like he's having fun. <laughs> I don't trust that bald guy. Yeah, they really cast the male actors well. They all look kind of, you know, <laughs> shifty. Yeah, he doesn't have a you know like a goatee or anything. No, he did. But... He did have a goatee. Oh, he did. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's what bald guys do. Yeah, go- the goatee, the international symbol of evil. <laughs> So they've made her character kind of conflicted, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if that bears fruit uh, in the second part. He's using one of his tri-quadric algorithms. That seems like... It's a lot of algorithms. Is it it tri or quad? Is it it three or four? Wouldn't wouldn't that just be like a dodeca algorithm? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) It's one of those tech words that didn't come off very well. We've been through worse. Why is Chakotay targeting? It's like they had to give him a button to press or something. It's in his contract. Must fire phasers. (laughs) One button an episode. So this field generator creates the shield that they're making? Yeah.
it's a bit of an odd mechanism, like the phasers seal the ruptures or something. Yeah. It, it's yeah, it, it's definitely one of those. Um, it's kind of video game esque. Yeah, kind of. or yeah, where it's like the, the problem was tailored to a solution for the plot. Yeah, I mean, it's not fatal to the episode. No, right? no, I mean, fish, the fish has got to work somehow. Bum, bum, bum. There goes the equinox. And here's our big cliffhanger. To be continued. Will Captain Janeway survive to the next season? Or is she going to be a desiccated husk? Well, I think we knew where the contract negotiations had gone by that point. I think uh, the, the longer you get in the world, the more the, the, the more closely followed things like that have, you know, like it used to be you would only read something like, you know, actor quits TV show and, you know, like the trades. Now I think, you know, the whole world knows. So I think if she were leaving, we would have known. Well, and TNG was a bit of an odd duck. They did not sign seven-year contracts. Yeah. So there there was the possibility of renegotiation. Whereas every other show, uh, I think they did with, six, because that's how Terry Farrell didn't re up for year seven. Oh, really? Well, so maybe in DS Nine they did six. Uh, in Voyager, I'm almost certain they were straight up seven year contracts. Mm. Um, I read read about it in uh, Kate Mulgrew's memoir. Mm, how is that? It's uh, I mean, it's not like it's got like two chapters on Star Trek, and so that's what I read. <laughs> Um, it's well-written. She's a very good writer. Uh, she's got an interesting sort of life story and the choices she made and stuff. Um, you know, she, she sort of chose acting over her daughter, uh, and feels bad about it. Um, spoiler alert, it does end with her reconnecting with her daughter whom she gave up for adoption. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. Anyway. I thought she had two, two sons. That's well, learn something. Oh, yeah, and it, it does get into, um, so she had two sons later, and it gets into their sort of chafing against her uh, being absent all the time. So, it you know, it's worth reading. Um, anyhow, I think this was written pretty well. Uh, like, it was an engaging story. I was never bored. Um, I found the new characters to be pretty interesting. Uh, you know, could there have been finer points on various aspects of the plot? Yes. The scenes weren't broken as well as they could possibly be. But it was still pretty well done, I would say. Nothing was horribly stupid. The closest thing to me was the doctor going and blabbing about his emitter, which I, I guess it's kind of in character. He's sort of loquacious and, you know, maybe a, a bit of a naive person. Um, you know, overall, I think it was pretty well written. Uh, I'd say at least a four on writing. Yeah, I'd say four is the, yeah, like it's a two-parter, so it's a little hard to judge it for what it doesn't resolve because we know it's, you know, it's a cliffhanger. But yeah, definitely interested, good tension, good characterization, even if it's not like a perfect, uh, perfectly executed arc for the guest characters. I think it's, I think it's really good. Oh, and I liked the, uh, you know, BLT. Uh, you know, like, it didn't feel too cute to have them be old friends. 
you know, or old, old flames. Right. Yeah. Cause it, it can be done in a way where you're like, Oh, come on. Does everybody know everybody else in this thing? You know, but you know, if it's one character and it's acted well, it can feel real. And so I, I would say it felt real in this case. Um, you know, they didn't all talk about how they like, like booth me, help me do my science project. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> it's like he did that diorama for me. It was amazing. Got me through Starfleet Academy. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, no, nothing like that. Um, as far as the acting goes, yeah. uh, how did you feel about John Savage? It, he was good. Like he, uh, like I think I like I said, it's as much the writing as anything. But I knew he was evil before the episode really leaned into it. Even the first time through, I'm like, well, he's got to be a bad guy. Um, <laughs> because his name is Ransom? Or? Well, also, just like, I mean, like, they tip their hand pretty early. Um, but yeah, I don't have any complaints. They were all very good. Um, Olivia Berkland did a good job being terrified. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought Titus Welliver, you know, he had a creepy vibe. Yeah. You know, but you could understand why someone might find him charming. Yeah. Um, Rick Worthy was a little too soft for me as Noah Lessing. Uh, I think he's going to get some better stuff in the second part. Yeah. Um, yeah. So acting wise, really solid. I thought Kate Mulgrew had some good stuff. Um, really she did the lion's share of the acting against the new characters. Although, uh, you know, Robert Beltran got some good scenes with, uh, Olivia Berkland, you know, he really should be utilized more because he's actually a fine actor. Um, you know, like when he's being given something, he commits. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is above average as far as acting goes, too. And production-wise, I mean, there was lots of fun stuff to look at, right? Yeah, they, they, they did a good job with the Equinox sets. I like the ship model, the plaque. They All the details were there. No can't can't really criticize well the visual effects were solid yeah uh maybe even slightly above average um you know good exterior ship shots good uh cgi for the time and it doesn't stick out as horribly awful today uh, it's like of course they could do it better but they don't have to <laughs> you know uh it basically matched the sort of um prop that they had of the dead creature. Um, you know, overall, I would say this is a four, personally. Yeah, I agree. I think a five is just slightly off the table. Just it's it's one of those like, do you ding the two parter for not resolving itself? But you know, it's a two parter. Like I, yeah, like maybe had they stripped out the doctor plot, they could have packed in a little more ethical hand wringing, which is the fastest way to a five for, for us generally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, overall a very good episode. I, I enjoyed watching it. It's, it's an example of how you can do an action focused story that is fueled by not slowed down or in absence of a star Trek style moral dilemma. Yeah. They look, they had enough ready room or conference room scenes to put meat on the bones, right? Um, yeah, I agree that they could have gotten deeper into the characterization and 
the sort of virtue ethics, you know, it's like what happens to these characters because of their choices. Like those are all interesting questions and maybe we'll see more in the second part. As far as, you know, being the first part of a two-parter, we've given other first parts fives in the past, you know, um, it can be like really incredibly well done on its own. Uh, this was well done, you know, above average. There were, there were things that, you know, you're right. Could have been slightly better, uh, but nothing horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing dragged me out. Yeah. Not really a bum note other than, I guess the the, the only bum notes are the Rudy ransom (laughs) and yeah, the doctor scene. Uh, I, I got over the name pretty quickly. (laughs) It's like, yes, it's kind of silly. Ransom. Okay. Well, it's also uh, the alliteration. That's like comic book stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would have been interested to be in the room as they debated the name. <laughs> you know? I wonder, does, is that a... That, that feels like a Brandon Braga decision. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. All right. Well, that's... Uh, so, that's uh, eight that out makes of total of eight, yeah. Yeah, for, uh, for the first part of this. And... Um, I think we, we might, we might, uh, I, I realized I was, I was going through some files. We, we still have the review we recorded like two years ago for <laughs> Insurrection and we've just never found the opportunity to, to air it. And I think this might actually line up now. So we, maybe we'll do that before we dive into season six. But, um, in any event, we should be shortly resolving this two-parter, uh, with the start of season six of Voyager. So, uh, uh, that, yeah. that's it for us tonight and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Okay, Uh, live long and prosper.